Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. Thanks for joining us for what will be our penultimate episode of Season 1. Next Friday, the 4th of December, will be our final episode of Season 1, but we will return for Season 2 on the 8th of January. Already we've got some great guests lined up and I can't wait to bring this to you guys. On this week's episode, I'm happy to be joined by Ari Nazan and Jason Reps. Ari and Jason founded Invictus, an effort to educate police officers and departments on the importance of judiciary for law enforcement personnel. Ari has over 30 years of experience in martial arts. In addition to being a proud member of the city's police force, he also operates a full-time jiu-jitsu academy and several online businesses, which all revolve around personal safety, combative training, and tactical awareness, and is the first-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under Keith Owen and a fifth-degree black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu under Steve Hisko, both of which Ari credits for saving his life on numerous occasions. Jason has recently retired after 24 years of police service and is a black belt under instructor Brian Marvin of Hensel Gracie, Houston. Prior to his retirement, he was assigned to the Criminal Investigation Division of his department and has previously served as a patrol sergeant and SRT team leader, among other positions. Jason is also responsible for teaching patrol, active shooter, and defensive tactics at his agency. Jason has trained in jiu-jitsu for nearly 12 years and has competed at all levels. Jason is also the creator of BJJ Cop, whose goal is to encourage police officers to begin training jiu-jitsu by demonstrating the effectiveness of jiu-jitsu in law enforcement. In this episode, Ari and Jason talk about their choices to follow a career in law enforcement, their journey into BJJ, real-world examples of how BJJ is effective in law enforcement, why they create Invictus, and recommendations and things to consider when trying to implement a BJJ training program into your department. Good afternoon, Ari and Jason, and welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks, John. Hey, how you doing? Very good. Glad to have you guys here. Obviously, I've been following you guys online for your social media channels as well. And I think what you guys are doing with regards to the Invictus uh, project is awesome stuff. I'm really keen to chat to you guys and just delve into that in a little bit more detail. Uh, before we do that, though, just if anyone hasn't come across, either yourself, Ari, or yourself, Jason, do you give us just a little bit of a background on you know where you guys start out your careers and where you guys are currently at? Uh, excuse me. Well, I, I've been, um, I'm just recently retired from law enforcement after about 22 years. I started out in Houston area 22 years ago and uh, spent my whole career down in the Houston area. Uh, did a lot of stuff. I, uh, I did some, what we call it SRT, but other people would know it as SWAT. I've done um, investigations, mm-hmm. went into administration towards the end of my career <clears throat> where I was an uh, administrative lieutenant, which was fun. Um, and uh, in that time frame, I started training jujitsu and I got very involved in the defensive tactics side of, of law enforcement, began teaching uh, defensive tactics and jujitsu to, to police officers. And uh, yeah, it kind of led me to where I'm at now, where I'm retiring, and I'm actually opening up my own academy here in, in Austin, Texas, uh, Hinzo Gracie Academy. So that's where I'm at at, at this point. Uh, so I've been involved in policing for uh, coming up on seven years. So I'm the rookie compared to Jason. Um, I have about uh, 15 years left uh, on the job. I was a late hire, though, so I got hired at 39. Um coming in from a different profession. So it, it's, it's been different to be hired after that kind of 40 period, but uh, I really love the work, um, I'm passionate about it. Um, and Jason and I basically was in February of 2019 that we just kind of came together and we knew each other kind of online before. 
And uh, we started talking about, hey, you know, we think that um, police officers need jujitsu because we've both been involved in jujitsu and we kind of started the Invictus movement back then. Uh, I started getting involved in jujitsu around 1999. Um, uh, I was doing Aikido before that. And then I got introduced to jujitsu, uh, Japanese jujitsu, and then into uh, 10th Planet jujitsu, and then into BJJ. And so that's where I'm at right now. Cool. You're saying yourself, Jason, you just retired. What was the, uh, the driving force you wanted to get into law enforcement in the first place? Uh, lethal Weapon. So I wanted to be like Mel Gibson. I remember the Lethal Weapon movies. So I, yeah, I loved, <laughs> I mean, I love Lethal Weapon. It's still like one of my favorite Christmas movies ever. It is a Christmas <laughs> movie, just like Die Hard. And, I love it. Uh, Question is, did you have I, the, uh, did you have the mullet to start off with, mate? Uh, there was probably a time frame in my middle school age life where I had a mullet at some point. Right. Um, but I don't recall it specifically, and I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, yeah, but no, I like it. It's, it was, you know, who didn't want to be Mel Gibson back then? That guy was, he was awesome. He's kicking everybody's ass and, uh, you know, he was just awesome. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I kind of, that's, that was my introduction to policing. And I was like, man, I'd love to do like, that's, I want to do that. And, uh, Turns out policing is not exactly like it is in the movies. Surely Especially not, no. Pretty much nothing like that at all. But uh, yeah, that was actually my impetus to become a police officer, to be honest with you. Although he does do jujitsu, coincidentally, in the first Lethal Weapon. I would not say it was the cleanest technique, but it was a legit technique. I mean, going from uh, the lethal weapon side, who was it? Was Hickson, wasn't it? it was uh, teaching Mel? Was it? No, it was uh, Orion. Orion was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was one of the um, what do you call it? technical yeah. advisors? Yeah. Yes, yes, he got that in. Nice. And what about yourself, Ari? Obviously, you came into uh, law enforcement later on. Uh, what what made that uh, change for you to make that move over to law enforcement? Uh, this is going to sound really cliche, but actually I've always wanted to be a cop. It was in high school. We had a, a school li a liaison uh, officer that was there and it was, um, she was just part of the school. I'd always remember just being fascinated by policing and it was always in the back of my mind, uh, to do it. And then I always had these excuses like, oh, I need to get laser surgery on my eyes and, and all this stuff. And then it was like, oh, I'm going to be too old to do it. And then like I was telling you before the mic came on when my dad passed away in 2012, um, he had said to me that you don't want to be 80 and regret not doing something. So after he passed away, I said, screw it. I'm, I'm going to apply. And, uh, I got in, so here I am. And my, my reasoning for policing has always been, again, another cliche thing is I'm really adverse to bullying and people who are victimized. And that was probably my driving goal. And it still is. Um, I just kind of want to help people who, uh, who need it. Now, Obviously, both of you guys have been heavily involved in BJJ for a number of years. You've both got your black belts as well. Um, I'll start with you, Ari. What, what prompted you to go towards BJJ after starting in Japanese Jiu-Jitsu? Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so like most people, I remember when the UFC came out, and that was always kind of in the back of my mind. I was doing Aikido at the time, and every time my instructor would do a move on me, um, so she would call me slippery because I would, I'd get thrown, but then I'd be on the ground and I'd entangle and I'd grab on. And 
And she's like, what are you doing slippery? And then I'm just like, it's like, well, this is just like a natural progression of like, like I'm not out, like you threw me down, but like I can keep going. And so I always loved, I'd, I had a um, predisposition for grappling and, and that type of thing. And so it was around 2000 or 1999 that I met this Japanese guy, ended up doing Japanese jujitsu. Uh, and then it kind of progressed from there, um, me kind of dabbling with, grappling and some wrestling I did judo as a kid and then I kind of moved into doing 10th line jiu-jitsu with Eddie Bravo which was awesome great experience and then I fell in love with the gi uh, with my instructor Keith Owen uh, who's a Pedro Sauer black belt and I was just like okay I really like this I love the no gi game a lot um, but when I started doing the BJJ gi game mm -hmm. I love the technical aspect to it and then it didn't require as much athleticism. I'm not a super athletic guy. Um, I didn't have to be big and strong and fast because that was uh, something that I believe that jujitsu is geared for. Um, I think there's different camps of jujitsu. I'm pretty opinionated on, you know, there's a self-defense camp, there's a sport camp, there's a, um, a professional grappling camp uh, of jujitsu. So it just kind of depends. So I was the guy who knew that jiu-jitsu was going to help him out. I didn't have to be big, fast, and strong. Um, it's literally saved my life probably a dozen times over the last 20 years in my different professions. So uh, that makes you a believer. It's funny, people, uh, we, I get asked that question a ton. Uh, I've done a, a, lots of podcasts and people are like, tell us some real life examples of using jiu-jitsu. So <clears throat> I, I'm going to do, I'm going to go off the beaten path here and, and not give you one that you would expect. But okay. most people are like, well, I was handling a guy, he had a knife, I was able to take it away, blah, blah, blah. So the one I'm going to talk about is um, handling pressure. Police officers handle or are dealt with a lot of pressure on their daily life. Uh, the statistic that I just read was the average person in their lifetime uh, sees two to three traumatic events in their lifetime. The average police officer sees 800. Uh, so you can imagine that kind of stress and stuff that is uh, constantly hitting us. So the jujitsu that we all do is the ability to handle pressure. We all know that we're getting smashed on the mat. That again, cliche uh, saying of being, um, comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, that's the type of thing. So jujitsu for me is when someone's yelling, people are losing their mind. I have been in battles and I have fought so many times, thousands of hours on the mat that that shit does not get to me. And it is a great armor and it allows you just to deal with all the craziness that we see as cops. So I, I would say that that's the the primary benefit for people. Everyone's thinking, yeah, we're gonna learn moves. And yeah, of course you're gonna learn moves, but after a while you see that it's a great stress reliever. You end up meeting amazing people. I've made some um, of my best friends in jujitsu. I met Jason, uh, super cool guy. Uh, very happy that jujitsu actually brought us together. So that's kind of the benefits uh, for me. I can give you specific examples, but I think that's that really, that's pretty high on my list. No, that's cool. Thanks, Ari. How about yourself, Jason? Yeah, I really like what Ari said. You know, the the PTSD aspect of our job is so under not talked about, mm -hmm. and I think most people don't think it exists. But there's a legit PTSD aspect to this this job, and and that's something we could for sure get into. I, Ari brings up a good example of how many critical incidents we deal with 
as police officers over, over our lifetime, over our career. And it's like, I can't tell you how many there's, I've had so many where you just, you know, 20, 22 years. I, and I was a cop in the military too. So we're over 25 years really of, of stuff. I, and I forget about all kinds of stuff. And then something will remind me like, Oh crap. I remember when that happened and it'll be something that to a normal person wouldn't, they would never forget it, but you just deal with so much that your brain just, it just sinks into the back of your brain. Um, so the, the ability for <clears throat> jujitsu, it, it definitely helps with PTSD. It's definitely a stress reliever mm-hmm. in that way. And it, it gives you coping mechanisms to deal with what you're dealing with on a daily basis. Um, I can give you a real life example and I can, I'll tell you two things. One, I think training jujitsu after just a couple of years, you develop a confidence in your, your presence and in your appearance, I think that it actually detours a lot of people from, from wanting to engage with you. And I feel like just my training on a regular basis, at some point in my, in my time as training jujitsu, it translated to just my presence on the street where people would not, uh, they didn't want to tangle with me, not because I'm this big badass, because I, I don't even think that, but it's just because you develop a presence and a confidence about yourself that you bring to situations. Well, I have had now, you know, of course, I mean, my, I'm all chewed up, I got my cauliflower ear, whatever. So now people look at you, they're like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to mess with you now. But um, I think it's prevented a lot of what would normally have been people who would have engaged with me, maybe prevented them from wanting to engage because they just, they, you know, you have that confidence. And I'll tell you a good one. This is always a good story. It's probably my favorite uh, jujitsu story. And, I, and it's far enough behind me now I can actually tell it. So, <laughs> yeah. So there was this, this years ago and I was probably a purple belt in jujitsu. And uh, so me and this, I, I had gone to a, a family violence call and I had a guy with me who didn't train at all. We get there, we're dealing with the subjects, the female and the male, and the male is hyper aggressive. And as soon as I'm trying to talk to the female, of course, he becomes extremely aggressive, tries to step in between us. And at one point I had to put my hand on him to push him back, telling him to go back to you know, the other side, away from where I'm trying to talk to her. And he, he, hits my, like, he hits my arm, right? Which now you've committed assault, you just gave me all I needed to take you to jail and in dealing with this situation. And uh, so I go to taser, right? I'm just, I'm like, I'm just going to go to taser. And he was a pretty thick Jack dude. And I go to taser, my taser fails. My partner had his taser out too, and his worked. So he nails him, perfect shot, you know, center mass, great spread, knocks him down. But I remember, you know, when these things happen, it's funny how everything kind of happens in slow motion a little bit like everything's you're seeing everything so well right well i remember as he's falling i remember seeing his arm kind of come around in this sweeping motion and in my mind i was like oh shit he's gonna swipe the probes out you know we're not gonna get this guy he's gonna get these probes out so i was like getting ready to approach him and i'm telling my partner like hit him again because he's gonna swipe those probes you got to hit him again otherwise he's gonna get those probes out well, my partner was kind of a little bit of a rookie and he just, he just, after tasing him, he didn't know what else to do. Like he just kind of froze up, didn't tase him again. So here comes the arm, 
wipes it straight out. So as he's hitting the ground, wipes it straight out. So he starts to bounce back up. And I just knew like, this is about to turn into a brawl, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not a big guy. I'm like 5'7", 165 pounds, right? This guy was bigger than me. So I just remember just like, cause you just kind of already talked about, you train on the mat so much when things happen, you don't get amped up or crazy about it. You just work, right? So I remember going straight to arm drag, right to his back. Like it was like butter. Like you just, cause he didn't, he doesn't know, he didn't have any training. And uh -huh. I just hit it real quick. And then I remember sinking in a rear naked choke, like really fast, locking it in. And he had zero defense. And I'm so used to people defending all the time on the mat. Like this is the first time I, this is the first time, might've been the second time, this is the second time I take it back, that I actually got to this position. This is the first time I had to finish one on the street. So I, I stuck it in and boom, I locked it in and he's not defending at all. He's just trying to move and struggle. And he keeps telling me to get out of his house, even though we were in the garage at that point, he's telling me to get out of his house. And I just sunk it in and squeezed. And I remember thinking, God, please work. You know, I was like, please work. <laughs> and sure enough, within a couple seconds, he's out. And, and I, you know, I can tell he's out. And then I remember thinking, well, let me hold it a, about three or four more seconds to make sure it's a good solid, he's got a good solid snooze going so we can get these handcuffs on. So sure enough, as I'm putting it in, his, his significant other's right there, right watching everything. Like she's right there. And the, the, funny, the funny part about this is, and I'll change his name for, for the protection of the uh, innocent and whatnot, but uh, Bill, let's say we'll call him Bill. She's yelling over him, that's what you get, Bill? That's what you get as I'm putting her man to sleep. <laughs> so I get him to sleep and I roll him over to his stomach and my partner's just like, he's just, his eyes are like wide open. He's never seen anything like this in his entire life. He is, he is in awe. And I get him on his stomach and I remember looking up at him. I was like, let's get him cuffed. <laughs> so we started getting his hands and he was a little stiffer than I expected, but we got the hands, we got him cuffed, turned him back over. Uh, and as we're waiting him for the blood to come back up and for everything to start working, he comes to, and as anybody's been put to sleep before, you know, when you get put to sleep, you wake up like from a nice little eight hour snooze, not knowing what happened. And sure enough, that's where he's at. He doesn't know he's handcuffed. He, the last thing he remembered was just some type of com confrontation with me. And he's like, what? He's just coming up like, what's going on? What happened? And I just said, uh, I put you to sleep. And he looks at me and goes, no, you didn't. I was like, yeah, I did, and you're handcuffed. <laughs> what? No, I'm not. And he's trying to move around. And Anyway, the best, the best part about, I think, that story, because I, I mean, it was, it was a cool story that happened in my career, but uh, nobody got hurt. Like, the worst thing that happened was, the worst, him getting tased was worse than me putting him to sleep. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, if, you know, if I'd just gone straight to put him to sleep, he didn't get hurt. I didn't get hurt. My partner didn't get hurt. His significant other didn't get hurt. He went to jail that day, no injuries. I went home. My partner went home. His significant other stayed home. Uh, but nobody got hurt. And I think that's that kind of was the beauty of jujitsu when done properly on the street. It's, it's a great tool that can uh, uh, be beneficial, not just to police officers, but it's even beneficial to subjects that we deal with that mm -hmm. decide to fight us. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great story, Jason. As you say, like, then there, you didn't get hurt, your partner didn't get hurt, and the guy didn't get hurt. And I think it's like, 
that thing. If hey, you know, another have addendum. That. I'll what tell you addendum to that story real quick. Yep. Like six months later, um, we get the loud noise complaint for a party. You know, in another like a few blocks down from that that house. Sure enough, he's there at the loud at the loud noise complaint party, and I remember thinking, oh, you know, in the back of my mind, like, man, please, not again. No, he was like my best friend. He's like, oh, this guy's the coolest guy. Hey, how you doing, sir? Good to see you again. Like, he was like my best friend at the party. It was hilarious. I was like, which is great. Like, oh, mm-hmm. thank God. I don't have to fight this guy again. Anyway. No, that's awesome. That's awesome, Jason. That's what I was saying. It's just like, it just shows you, like, if you've got that skill set that you can control someone, you can diffuse the situation safely without having to hurt that individual. And if you don't have that skill or that training, you run out of options very quickly and you have to escalate very quickly in order to gain control of that person. And, and then going back to your point there, Ari, as well, I think it's a great option as well for guys just for managing that stress as well and that, that the impact of PTSD. I've, I've seen so many guys within first responder organizations who are getting involved now in JITs and we were chatting off camera about it. It's just like you say about the 800 uh, calls someone will get within their uh, their career, you know, and within any first responder it's not a case of you can turn up and have an off day everyone always expects you to be at your prime like pinpoint accuracy when you come in you can't come in and be at 95 percent on any sort of call so it's an interesting one and what about yourself jason you were saying obviously you came into a bit later after starting in your career in law enforcement so what prompted yeah, that I, move over yeah i uh, i i've been a police officer for probably <clears throat> seven or eight years and <clears throat> i knew I knew I needed something like I'd gotten into scraps on the street, obviously after seven years, you've been in a few. And I always kind of, I, I knew I was getting lucky. Like I would tackle guys, hold them to the ground and be like, Calvary gets there. We get him handcuffed or I, maybe I get him handcuffed. And, but in the back of my mind, I, I knew I was like, I don't like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm just grabbing guys and just, you know, fifth grade school, you know, schoolyard tactics, you know, that's all I got. So my, my brother happens to be, he's like, he's been in martial arts his whole life. He's older than me. And he started out in traditional martial arts and uh, he had had his own school. And I remember asking him like, Hey, what, what's something I could train? I tried Krav Maga at one point and I, it was fun, but it, I didn't, it didn't feel right. Like it uh, felt very crude. Not like something I could take on the street and be a Like I was like, I'm already doing this without, some of the teaching, you know, mm-hmm. and um, he was like, he suggested jujitsu. And I, I had heard of jujitsu just because like UFC. And then I remember, you know, but I'd kind of forgot about it a little bit, but then I remembered like, Oh, that's, that's that thing where that skinny guy beat up all those big dudes with. And uh, which when I remember watching it, like, you know, like a lot of us like blew our mind, like this doesn't make any sense. Um, so I found a jujitsu school and I started training. Uh, and I immediately fell in love with it, knew it was what I wanted to do, knew it was perfectly applicable to, to what I was doing at work. And, but besides that, it was fun. Like I really enjoyed, you know, at first, especially getting my, my butt kicked. Like I was going in there getting hammered by everybody. Cause when you start, you're the, you're the nail. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but I really enjoyed it and, you know, I enjoyed learning and the progression and, and uh, it's just something I, I fell in love with. So that's kind of how I ended up to, was almost 14 years later now, uh, still training. And now I'm opening an academy. So obviously I fell in love with it. 
That's cool. That's cool, Jason. Yeah, me, me and Ari were chatting off camera um, a little bit about like everyone's first experiences going into BJJ. I came in from my kickboxing background and I accepted like, you know, coming into class like, okay, I'm not going to be great. I'll be starting at the very bottom rung, but I've got a kickboxing background and a bit more athletic. I should be okay. And within like 30 seconds, take down, guard passed, mounted. It's like, okay, crap. I've got no idea what's going on here. Yeah, so it's it's quick eye-opening experience, definitely. Um, obviously, chatting to you guys and like chatting to numerous other guys in in the field within BJJ as well. Everyone understands like how important it is and like how much it can carry over to you know guys who are involved in either you know the law enforcement or the military as well. I was just wondering for you guys, given your your diverse backgrounds and like your years on the force as well, can you just give us any sort of like real life examples where you know like BJJ has really stepped in and helped you guys when you've been on the job? Anyway, guys, I know from looking at your websites and stuff like that as well, you run a lot of seminars, so guys getting hands on uh, experience and training as well. But you guys have done your own little research into police organizations and just trying to figure out why some. Uh, officers are training and some aren't as well so I just want to really dive into some of those articles you've got up on your website the first one was just looking at um, you know why why cops aren't training why, why did you decide to come straight in and just you know do a study rather than just doing the uh, what do you call it the, the hands-on you know training for it well, I think we did this study because we realized there's so many videos out there. Like we, we kind of wanted to be different and we wanted to give a more holistic approach to policing and use of force. Cause there's people just like, Oh, here's a video technique. Here's another video technique. And, and, and Jason and I are like, there's more to it as we've already discussed. It's not just about the technique. It's a, it's about a whole host of issues. And um, so I started gathering information from cops about why they didn't train and the biggest one is, as I mentioned in that article, is confirmation bias. And what a confirmation bias is, is basically, it hasn't happened to me, so it won't happen to me. So the majority of cops that aren't training are um, unfortunately uh, in this kind of world where they think that er they've always come on top. So why would they need to expend more energy and training because everything's always worked in the past. So that, that's a logical fallacy and it's also dangerous because we all know that at any time something can happen to us. And uh, the analogy I've always used with my students about this is it's like swimming. Um, the, why do we learn how to swim? So if you get thrown in the deep end and you don't know how to swim, it's too late to go, you know, I wish I knew how to swim. So mm -hmm. self-defense is the same way. It's a life skill, it's not just um, for recreation or anything like that. So th the unfortunate thing is, is 97% of police officers that aren't training have um, a host of excuses. Jason and I have heard them all. Um, but the biggest one is I've done all right. I've, I've, Jason already said it, like I've been lucky. I've had backup. I've had tools. I've had my, my officer presence, all these things that have worked out, but I've seen things go sideways really quick. And, um, I hate saying it, but this is the truth. A blue belt would be able to uh, handle a average police officer quite handily. It would just, it, it wouldn't be in a contest. And then what the officer has to do is I'm losing this fight. I have to go to my tool belt. This is a deadly force scenario. I'm shooting the suspect because I don't have anything else at my disposal. So there's a range there. Since jujitsu is scalable, it's like, 
why would you take that away? Why would you go from talking and then it's like, I don't have anything in between and now I have to go to use my firearm because I, nothing else in the, in, in the middle has worked. So um, our friend Chad Lyman, he has a great uh, line, a quote, which he talks about and he talks about um, use of force is a form of de-escalation. Everything, everyone thinks that de-escalation is just talking. It isn't. There's use of force is an option and you have to be able to use it sometimes. So kind of my view on uh, the matter. <laughs> I mean, looking through your, your survey here, like you say, all the common ones are coming up here. So big thing there is, you know, time, time commitments, cost commitments as well for the guys as well. And big one jumped at me is just that, um, you know, that, that fear of getting injured while training and then not being covered by departments. Yeah, I think um, that's a huge one. And I hear it from cops a lot. So you can statistically actually cops tend to get more injured in the gym than they do actually on the mat. And I'm not saying that the gym is a dangerous thing. I'm not saying the mat is a dangerous thing, but shit's going to happen, obviously. So do you want to be a, a porcelain doll throughout your entire career? Like you've got to put yourself into it and in the muck. And that's what jujitsu is. And the funny thing about jujitsu is the more you do it, the, the hardier you get. And it, you, you know, you can take more abuse. Just remember when you started jujitsu and what it was like. Someone is, um, uh, you're on your back and someone's in your guard and they take their elbows and they dig them on the inside of your legs and your legs pop open like it was the worst pain in the world. And then after a year of training, you just look at them. And it's like, you can dig those in as, lo far, like, as long as you want, nothing's going to happen. So mm -hmm. you get used to it. So I, I just, I don't, I don't accept the excuse that uh about the injury thing because we can get injured doing anything and you might as well be doing something that's going to help you doing the job um and i always tell tell people that cops have three things one typically they're in shape um, typically two um they have heart so if they're in a fight they'll keep going no matter what but the third one which most of them don't have is training and you can imagine that if you were in shape had heart and had training you would be uh a formidable uh, opponent on the street if things went sideways. Yep, definitely. I mean, you know, the injured one is, is an interesting one. I, we got into a discussion on our in our private group. I don't know if you remember this one already. This wasn't too long ago, uh, maybe a month ago. There was a chief that uh, he he's in a group. He he believes in defensive tactics and doing training, uh, and he encourages his guys to to train. But he does not like jujitsu because he he got hurt within like a month of starting training some purple mm -hmm. belt hurt him and he decided that kettlebells and working out was all he needed and uh, because that he gets less hurt doing that and he felt like the juice he said the juice wasn't worth the squeeze uh with jujitsu in other words you're too it's too dangerous that you might get hurt uh to do it and i thought that was an interesting perspective i we went back and forth a little bit uh, and you know, he, he doesn't discourage his officers from training jujitsu. He just personally decided it wasn't, uh, for him. And I, the, the injured thing's a weird one to me because you're in a profession that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. You're in a profession where there's so many different ways we can get hurt at work. I mean, through car wrecks, through chasing somebody, through fighting someone, through, I've seen the weirdest injuries <laughs> at work, you know, that take people out for a little while. Um, so I don't understand why you would not like, I don't understand fear of injury. Like, I, I don't get that. Like you train, you work out, you've chosen a warrior's profession. 
is, is something I kind of like to say, you, this is a warrior's profession. I think a lot of police officers don't look at it like that, but, but it is. I mean, you're, 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 you're in a job where you can be combative. You have to do, it's a paramilitary organization where you're going to have to do something physical to protect people. Um, you're, you're a warrior and you should be approaching it like that. And I, I don't think our, not that we're special ops, I mean, I'm not comparing that, but I don't think our warriors, like those guys are thinking, well, I can't, you know, I, I would like to do combatives today, but I don't want to get hurt. You know, I need to, I, I got to be careful. I don't get hurt in combatives so I can go out and do my, my mission. Like that's, that's not a concept. That's not a thought process. The thought process is you do everything you can to prepare yourself for the worst situation on the street. Yes. You might get some injuries preparing that way. Cause you're preparing for, for a form of battle. Mm -hmm. You can't, you're not, you're not going to prepare for battle and not get nicked up. It's just, that's just not going to happen. There's, there's quite a bit is from what I'm aware as well from your, your paper and your second paper as well about like the different systems guys are using for the combatives training as well. There's quite a variety there within like your more traditional stuff like Aikido and other more uh, traditional martial arts as well as stuff like, you know, your Krav Magas and stuff as well, which are more striking based. But it doesn't seem to be an awful lot that really focus on the grappling side of things. What jumps out to me from reading through this? Yeah, I think what you'll see as well, there's a, also a misconception about what jujitsu is. Everyone thinks that it is a pure ground-based one-on-one um, -on -one art type of thing. There's a whole bunch of stuff to jujitsu that people don't realize. And mm -hmm. Jason and I were also chatting about this. Um, police jujitsu and combatives is different than sport jujitsu. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but every fight that Jay and I have gone to, there's always w at least one gun involved and that's the one that's on us, which can be taken from us. So we have to know weapon retention. We have to know striking. We have to know takedowns. We have to have this kind of complete kind of system. And I've done a ton of martial arts and jujitsu was the one that was most applicable for self-defense and for policing because typically how are we arresting people? We're not high kicking them in the head or boxing them into submissions. Mm -hmm. It's just, it isn't what happens. It's a hands-on art. You have to go hands-on, which means you're grappling, which means you're in close contact, which means things happen. The easiest and best way to arrest someone is to get them on the ground um, because you're taking away one of the planes. When a, when a suspect is vertical, they're able to move in many different directions and they have mobility. So by taking away their mobility, by having a clinch, by taking them down, is how we arrest. That's why jujitsu, honestly, is the best art for what cops do. No, that's easy, man. I agree with that on completely. Um, obviously, looking for your paper here, you talk a little bit about <clears throat> just you know how often departments are using their use of force training, how often the guys are getting the reps in. It, it's incredible to think that, like, from here, around about 25% of those guys you pulled have had zero training outside of what they got in the academy. And then the, the remaining 50, you've only got like one training day a year, which is just nuts. Like yeah. to think someone's going to be proficient at something either for one, one hit wonder, you know, in the academy days or a one day of, let's say, uh, six to eight hours. And I know you've indicated in your paper here within that, that can cover a broad range of things with regards to combatants. So the grappling or jujitsu side of things could only be a two hour segment. And it's just laughable to think that's enough to be proficient in, you know, something that could save your life. But the, the thing is, John is a lot of departments don't even address grappling or jujitsu. Like yeah. 
usually it's baton bag work uh it's, you know show how you're going to do your oc spray they're not even addressing the grappling because they don't want in injuries to cops and they don't think it's beneficial and this is across the board and the problem is as jason and i and other cops who are promoting jujitsu can be seen as pariahs within their department because we are kind of bucking the system saying listen there's going to be injuries cops can be safer but but management is they just don't want to bring that on and just like it's another headache we, we just we don't need it everything is working out fine right now um so we're really trying to shake the tree because it's it's important and um it's that is across the board like that stat is not localized to my department or to jason's department or anything like that that's like you see that everywhere and there's there's so many police officers that haven't had training since the academy that's in other departments too they don't even do increment training per year it's just they're kind of like maybe they'll go to a range but they don't do any physical stuff and it's like here you go here's your badge and gun and go out there and you'll be okay yeah it's incredible mm -hmm. absolutely incredible but it's really really interesting like from these two papers where you've highlighted as well like where the gaps are and what could be possibly done around it um have you guys got any plans to do any further research studies as well following on from these two yeah i think that it's it's ongoing i mean i've i've got a couple other things that i'm thinking about and it, you're always identifying stuff yeah because what's coming up in 2020 or 2021 may be a problem and then jay and i were like hey we should really address this and then you see videos from cops coming out it's whatever the whatever the flavor of the day is tends to maneuver how we as trainers are talking right i don't want to talk about an old issue uh, that's been done to death like the say the the 30 the 25 foot rule the 30 foot rule with with knives and covering distance that that has been done to death although it's really important there's other issues that are coming up and that are evolving so um yeah i i'm sure there'll be more papers and and stuff as as the information comes cool no that's awesome thanks guys now, obviously, you guys are really pushing forward with Invictus and really trying to create and build this movement across law enforcement. If anyone's listening to this, either you know, within Canada, the US, or here internationally throughout Europe, uh, what recommendations would you give to the guys who are looking to potentially implement, like you know, BJJ within their own training, their own department? How could they either set that up or you know, approach management saying, "Hey, got this idea. This is what we want to do." Mm, you know, it's. <clears throat> It's going to depend on the different administrators, different departments, some kind of what Ari was talking about. You know, these, there's generally speaking been a resistance to any kind of change, which I think is very human. But in law enforcement, you, uh, you have administrators who are, this is what works. This feels, there's a lot of checking the box in law enforcement when it comes to administrative stuff and, and, and managing a department. And I learned that, you know, I, I got to be on the administrative side for a little while before retiring. There's, there's, and I have a progressive chief. He, we were implementing jujitsu training, you know, a couple of years back. We started pushing, pushing it and doing, and I started training the guys and we started doing stuff. But we were unusual in that, in that aspect. But most departments are going to be checking the box. And so when you present them with, if they have their, their, their the, the traditional, uh, PPC, I can't remember the title anymore, but the traditional stuff, the defensive tactics, you know, we've taught where there's pressure points and, and striking and some stuff like that, that we know is not effective at all. Uh, but it checked the box. It's, it made the, it let the administrator say, hey, we did defensive tactics training. It, 
we sent them to a, a certified course that the state recognizes. Whether it was effective or not, doesn't matter. It, it checked the box, so we're done. So you have to fight through their comfort level with this, this facet of what they do. You're going to have to get them to abandon that and to take on something new, which for them, they're looking at it liability-wise. So yes, the injuries are an issue for, for an administrator because they're like, well, if I get injuries, how am I going to fill out my roster? And it's going to cost my insurance money and my HR is going to be upset because I've got guys out that the department's having to cut pay for. And now we're having to pay overtime to cover shifts. There's, there's a thought process that as a patrolman or if you work the street, you, it probably doesn't even occur to you that that's the stuff that they're considering. So you have to fight through that. So when you present the program, you really need to present it as this is something that will prevent injury in the long term. This is something that will prevent uh, liability issues with an officer. Say, if he doesn't have any type of grappling training, then what do we see? The guy's trying to beat somebody into submission, right? That's the videos we see, or we're going straight to gun because there's nothing else. You have to present it as this is prevention. You know, this is like almost like an insurance policy. This is preventing worse things from happening later. They're giving your officers tools. So we might risk some injury depending on who's training. I can tell you, I've had. I've been doing it for a couple of years. If you do the training right, your, your risk of injury is very low. Mm -hmm. But you have to present it in a way that shows that it's extremely beneficial to the department and it's going to break through that, that old school stuff that they're, they're used to and it makes them feel comfortable and lets them check the box and move on to the other issues they got to worry about. So it's tough. I was lucky in my department. I had a chief that's progressive and he was like, hey, we need, I need you teaching these guys this. Like, what, what, how do we do this? And um, he allowed me to present the information and let me run with it. So, and I was fortunate. I actually was, and still am training the departments in the area. The other, other departments send people to, to us to train and we've been very successful, but uh, it, it's not easy, but you got to keep doing it and you got to keep training and you got to keep talking about it and you got to keep posting about it. You got to keep your friends involved. <clears throat> you just got to be a good example of why it's good. And I think over time that will, It'll get through. It may not happen right away, but it'll get through. Nice. Thank you very much for that, Jason. I think that's great. It was great to get your insight from an admin perspective as well, just for what guys should be considering from their end of the thing, you know, rather than going and going, oh, this will be great um, for us, for the guys who are on the street. But, you know, as you say, the admin guys who need to really check off with regards to finance and, you know, numbers going across the board as well. That is really fantastic. Um, Obviously, it's been really insightful chatting to both you guys. And with any guests I always have on, I'm always interested in what everyone's doing for their own development. You know, uh, so on that, can you guys just give me a book, an app, or a website recommendation you guys have found useful in your own education or your own development? Um, Google for you first, Ari. A book, an app, or a website. Um, so this is going to be kind of weird, but I am totally into um, Gary V. Mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, if you're aware of him, entrepreneur, um, VaynerMedia. So I love his stuff because, um, I, I just love the positivity and just how to, to get through tough days. So I, I, I am always checking out his Instagram stuff. So I just, I love it. So that would be mine. Uh, I know it's kind of a weird one. I mean, I've got a ton of, uh, warrior culture books and websites and stuff that I've gone to and stuff, but uh, you know, I, I really, I think that you should surround yourself with positive people and mm -hmm. people who are willing to kick ass in life. 
um, you know, your, your vibe attracts your tribe. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to surround myself with people who just, who want the same things as me. And um, I'm shutting out the stuff that's just noise and just extraneous bullshit. Nice. Yeah, that's actually a good one. I, you know, I'm kind of similar. Most of my book reading is like uh, conspiratorial stuff or historical stuff. It's just for, for entertainment when I do read. Um, I, but I'll tell you, I get inspiration from like David Goggins, Gary V, uh, Jocko. Uh, they have great messages and they, they really, you know, I, I like to listen to their point of view and, and their, their messaging. I think it's huge. Um, it's looking at stuff like that. You know, I'll, I would also say uh, our friend Chad Lyman. Uh, I do follow him a lot. I, I, his teachings and his stuff he shows is awesome. He's always just, he's, his stuff, his stuff is so well made for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I just, in, in his perspective and his background is, he's just, he's one of the guys I wish, whoever the next president is, I guess it's going to be Mr. Biden, whatever, but I wish I could get Chad Lyman one-on-one time with these guys mm-hmm. just so they could suck in all his information and all everything that he has to, to tell them about where law enforcement needs to be. And uh, I get a lot of inspiration from from him. And there's a lot of guys, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot, but there's just a couple to name um, as far as, uh, you know, stuff that I find useful, you know. Um, I would say this, if you're, if you're a young, if you're a young police officer who's trained in jiu-jitsu or just young in jiu-jitsu, when you're, when you're researching and doing things, everybody gets on YouTube and YouTube is a great tool. Like it's a great tool for jiu-jitsu and so is Instagram. If you see anything that's flashy, pass it. But when you see the guys teaching great fundamental stuff and it's, it is the most easiest thing that you can take and translate to your training. Mm-hmm. And it's the most, it's the stuff you'll use for your entire jujitsu life. Those fundamental basic wedges and mm-hmm. angles, the stuff that Chad talks about a lot, those things will change your game and change your ability to, 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 compete to perform on the mat to perform on the street immensely those are the things you need to suck up and that's what i would recommend because that's what i do like when i see the flashy stuff i immediately i'm like oh that's cute pass because i'm like who's gonna do that yeah. who's gonna how often do you even see that occur you don't like you just pass you know that's that's my opinion on that but yeah that's that's kind of what i find useful that's awesome thanks jason for that Okay, guys, thank you very much, guys, for taking time out of your schedule, sit down and chat. Um, obviously, it's been really insightful and really interesting to get your perspectives on jiu-jitsu and law enforcement. If anyone's listening to this and wants to get in touch with you guys or find out a bit more uh, about Invictus, you know, how can they do that? Easiest way to do it is to go through our website, which is InvictusLEO.com. They can also email us at uh, info at InvictusLEO.org. Um, most of our stuff is done on social media. We have Facebook and we have Instagram. Our Instagram is our easiest, um, way to communicate. Actually, we put out our information. Um, you know, we create swag, we have keys and belts and stuff. And so any information that, uh, stuff about that, we come out there. Um, our seminar announcements are usually done through that as well. So, uh, that's the easiest way to contact Jason and I, and, um, again, we're a collective it's Jason and I are, 
are, are steering the ship. I mean, we're on it, but I mean, there's so many amazing trainers uh, and we're expanding and it's getting bigger. Like in this last six months, we've grown tremendously. So um, I think it's the future looks bright for Invictus. That's awesome, guys. I'll make sure I pop all that in our show notes. With regards to seminars, everything going on with COVID, what's, what's happening with that? Have you guys you got anything posted up or is that on hold at the moment for you guys? Well, it's the last year COVID kicked our ass just like everybody else's. Uh, we had to shut down our seminars for the year because of obvious reasons. We are planning on a new uh, seminar coming up here this spring. It will be in Austin, Texas at uh, Hinzo Gracie Austin. We'll christen the gym with uh, the first major seminar will be an Invictus seminar. So we're very excited about that. Austin's a fantastic place and looking forward to everybody coming out and being a part of it. And uh, Ari and I are in the process of putting that together now. And so we will have an announcement once we get it all lined up, get the instructors lined up, get the dates and everything set. We'll, we'll be announcing. We're very, very excited. I'm, I can't wait to have seminars again because I miss everybody. And uh, I want to, I want to see everybody again. I want to roll with as many people as possible, uh, break bread, have a couple whiskeys or beers, whatever with everybody and, and share some good stories. So I miss everybody a lot. So I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Nice guys. Well, once again, Jason, all right. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you guys taking the time. It's been great John, to you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks a lot, John. Hi guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. The continued support us can ask you to do me a simple favor. To share the show, please take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it in your stories on Instagram and make sure you tag me in it. First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me, and please share the show. You were tagging me at Coach John P or at Monarchium Performance, and I will reshare it. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.